Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. All right, let's talk about this unaffordable housing market now. The most expensive in Canada. Housing prices have cooled off a little bit, but purchasing even a modest townhome or a condo, still out of reach for many non-millionaires. Forget about buying a detached house that's become an impossible dream here for most people. So, how do first-time home buyers get into this market? The answer for many people, according to brand new report, uh, study just out, it is the bank of mom and dad. Have a listen to Sher- mortgage broker Sherlock Yam here. Have a listen. As the rates go up, the uh, mortgage amount that they qualify for is getting less and less. So, bank of mom and dad are are digging deep into their home equities to come up with that difference. Okay, check out these stats here now. This just out from Statistics Canada. If your parents are already homeowners, you are twice as likely to own a home yourself. For people who do not have a generational stake in the housing market, so for people whose parents are not homeowners, yeah, you are about half as likely to own a home. This report came out yesterday. It took a look at home buyers, uh, those born in the 1990s, compared parents, p- compared people who are parents, who parents already own homes and those who don't. Percentage of home ownership rate for was 15.5% overall. But check this out though. The adult children of non-home owners 8.1%. For those whose parents are already homeowners, 17.4%. So more than double, twice as likely to own a home if your parents own a home. Let's discuss now with my guest, David Tang, a realtor and co-founder, Tang and Kung Real Estate Group. Great to have him on again. David, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure. David, I'm sure these numbers do not surprise you. Like in your in your business there, when you're dealing with people trying to break into this market, are the successful buyers, first-time home buyers, typically people are getting help from their parents? Yeah, so I think we are seeing that more and more so, um, definitely over the last uh, four or five years here at least. Um, so absolutely, with first-time home buyers, uh, there's a... Um, there, there's a there's a need from a lot of them uh, to tap into the bank of mom and dad uh, to help them get into their finance um, home ownership goals. Yeah, that's very stark, uh, starkly illustrated here in these new stats can numbers. Here's another one here. If a parent owned multiple properties here, <laughs> oh man, the odds of their children owning a home rise to twenty three percent. Oh, no kidding! You got rich parents who own multiple properties. The kids are likely to get into home ownership too. I mean, David, for people who come to you and, and they don't have parents who own a home, they're trying to break in. What do you tell them? Is it possible here? What do they got to do? Yeah, I, I think it, you know the the landscape of the market is is not something that will likely uh, make a dent overnight. Um, and so, what I advise a lot of the clients who don't have the privilege of how getting the uh, loan from their bank of mom and dad, um, you know, they, they, there's a lot of things that we have to work with, right? So number one is really assessing what are some of the needs and versus some of the um, 
likes that they want in their home. Um, so there's definitely compromise that we have to evaluate location versus age, um, size, uh, and things like that. And, and so, you know, we, we have a more detailed conversation that front and, and to evaluate the options uh, afterwards. Uh, the second part too is also really looking at other creative options. Um, you know, we, I'm seeing a little bit more of people uh, going in with their best friends or, or um, their partners and and uh, pulling in together uh, to yeah. own properties as, uh, to get into the property as well. Um, so, you know, I, I think I think it really kind of comes down to the in individual, what's sort of the most important thing. Um, and a lot of my clients, they still value home ownership as a long term goal. So they're more willing to step foot into uh, making certain compromises uh, to get their foot in, into the market first and uh, and then they'll slowly upgrade over time. But ultimately, I think it, it, it kind of comes down to the individual and what's more important to them. Uh, I mean, obviously, rent is not cheap these days as well. So that's not no. as a uh, um, attractive as, as of an alternative option. But it comes down to the down payment, which I think the down payment is the um, uh, sort of that obstacle for a lot of people who uh, are needing to come up with larger down payments um, with yeah. rising home prices, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of realtor, David Tang. David, so on that point about a down payment, is that where mom and dad are, are riding to the rescue here? They're giving their kids the money for the down payment? Like how do parents typically typically help out their kids? Do they, they co-sign the mortgage? What What do they do typically? Well, in my experience, I, I think the down payment's sort of that obstacle so most of the time that's where they step in um yeah. sometimes they co-sign uh but more, more so it, it, it's uh the support of the down payment they might help with uh part of it or all of it in some case but uh you know and and that speaks to that study i think because you're you're finding that a lot of the parents that do own homes uh they're able to tap into the equity especially over the last decade where prices have soared right so in that case what we're finding is that they're in a better position uh and willing to to be able to help um but yes yeah that, that would be the case what are the prices like out there now i mean we have heard some indications that prices are cooling off a, a little bit like what are you seeing out there yeah, there's definitely a, a softened uh, demand in the market. Um, you know, we, we were in uh, a, a very low sales season um, yeah. as we head into the fall and winter months. And that's um, also a lot of buyers adjusting to the landscape of the high, higher, the, the uh, more expensive affordability into the interest rates that's affecting their payments. Um, so we're, we're probably seeing price points right now uh, shed down a little bit. You know, I, I think even as prices have come down, but their mortgage payments has gone up, it's actually more expensive in many cases for buyers. So it doesn't make it easier. Um, that said, there, there are definitely more inventory uh, in the market. So buyers do have uh, uh, more selection and in some cases, some of the new construction, uh, they're providing buyers with more incentives and lower down payments. Uh, and, you know, I, I think I think there are different alternatives out there. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Like, I think you put your finger on a, an important point there. Even if the prices come down a little bit, soften a little bit, the mortgage rates going up kind of offset that. And you still need even more income 
to afford a home in this market. There's been some recent studies on that. I mean, David, what are you seeing out there at your business when you talk to people? Because I've talked to people who are like, they're making good money. You know, they're in professional jobs. They are making like 70, you know, 80,000, 80,000 bucks a year, 90K a year. And they still can't afford to get into this market. Like, are you seeing that people with good jobs, even they're priced out? Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Um, Vancouver, uh, being being a, a city that I was born and raised in, um, I have definitely have found that sort of the income versus where property prices ratio has really ballooned. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't look like the prices are going to come down uh, to a level that's going to be affordable in that regards. And I think a lot of people are banking on um, longer amortization period on their mortgages. Um, and, you know, the, the, the issue right now is where the interest rates are. Um, it's hard for people to qualify um, for more money. And in many cases, uh, when they're on a fixed salary, they, they can budget only so much for towards their mortgage payment and still got to pay for the rest of their living cost. Yeah. And, and when what we do see is that where real estate prices are high, but their mortgage pay, you know, interest rates are, are low or more reasonable in, in sense, what we're finding is that they're still okay to make their payments. They can still qualify for a mortgage. And as long as they come up with the down payment, they're, uh, they're able to support uh, that the, uh, the payments. The issue right now, however, is that prices are not coming down enough to offset where the interest payments uh, are, are going up by. Right. And the issue is that they're making good money. They're, they're, uh, they're well-qualified. Uh, the only issue is that they're with the, landscape where the mortgage uh, interest rates are, are are at right now um we're just finding it more difficult for for a lot of even working professionals great jobs uh to enter into the market um yeah. it would have been easier obviously with the same prices but lower payments uh due to the interest rate landscape so i think that's sort of that that tug right now in the marketplace yeah. david thank you for your thoughts and analysis on this today i appreciate it you're welcome it's a pleasure thanks again yeah. talk about the crackdown on Airbnb and other short-term rentals in British Columbia and all across Canada now. Here comes Ottawa now. They are getting set to crack down on Airbnb as well. The federal government saying they're taking some inspiration here from British Columbia. They saw what the David Eby government did here to crack down on short-term rentals in bc got maria recruit standing by to discuss here first let's have a listen to the federal housing minister here sean fraser kind of showing his hand about short-term rentals here let's have a listen we believe that there's likely tens of thousands of uh, homes that could be made available uh, to Canadians, certainly by addressing this uh, particular challenge. Uh, by addressing the challenge around short-term rentals, uh, as uh, the recent uh, example from the province of British Columbia demonstrates, has the potential in the short term to bring on uh, new pockets of supply. Yeah, okay, Sean Fraser there taking a look at the BC's crackdown. It's like, oh, we're going to get in on this now, too. So the federal government now set to bring in restrictions on short-term rentals. One of the things they could do here are punitive tax 
measures here on Airbnb operators. That could come down today. Let's discuss this now with my guest, Maria Recruit. Maria is the president of the Canadian Short-Term Rental Association. Maria is a real estate investor specializing in vacation properties. Maria, thank you for coming on today. Oh, my pleasure. Nice to be here again, Mike. And I'm glad to see you fighting for the short-term rental hosts and, and, and bringing, you know, bringing this to the forefront because well, this is just so wrong, you know, just so wrong. Well, I would say it's your job to fight for the, uh, the short-term rental owners, Maria, but let's Absolutely. talk. <laughs> and I know you do. I know you do. So let's talk a little bit about that here now. So wh- what is your read of this here? What is Ottawa up to on this now? They're talking about tax measures they're going to bring in, correct? Well, yeah, but I mean, if you're a business, you do have, um, you you can claim any type of expenses against your taxes. That's what it's all about, right? Aren't we a democratic country that we as businesses are able to uh, put our expenses against our property? Otherwise, what kind of a business are we in? So if yeah. you get a business license, I don't think it matters what kind of business you're in. You should be able to get tax relief because you're running a business and those are ex- those are legal expenses. So I just don't understand yeah, this, where this is coming from now, Mike. This is what is expected that the federal government could close some of these uh, these tax measures here now to punish Airbnb and short-term rental operators. So, so right now, Maria, let's say you're running an, an Airbnb, you're an Airbnb host. What kind of expenses can you write off on your taxes? Like, can you write off your uh, like your strata fees? Yes, of course, you can you can yeah. write off just like in any business, let's say this is a business, you can write off your um, mortgage payments, your taxes, um, insurance, anything you buy for the home, it's a business. Yeah. So for them to come and to say, no, you can't anymore, that doesn't make any sense to me as a business. And you know, Mike, maybe the way that, that short-term rental hosts need to look at this is do get yourself registered as a business. So then you have all the rights that a real business has rather than running, running this as a hobby. Why don't you run this as a business? And, and, and I feel, you know, a lot of people that are, that are in the short-term rental business, I've been doing this for 23 years since 2000. I've seen a lot of the changes is most people don't even look at short-term rentals as a business where when I went into it, that was a, that's a business. So I think if yeah. if the, if the hosts themselves look at this as a business, they'll treat it as it, and and they'll and if they need to get licenses, then go ahead and get licenses, you know, get get it, you know, become a registered business. Then that okay. that will probably get a, get this all off your back of what the BC government or even Ottawa wants to do. Okay, what kind of business? Okay, what sort of impact would? Let's say you're running an Airbnb and you're running it mm-hmm. as a business, like you said. You are yeah. claiming uh, tax deductions on your strata fees, your your mortgage, like you said. If yes. the government comes down, the federal government comes down, widely expected here to, to say, no, you can't do that anymore. So what kind of impact would that have on running a business? I mean, that obviously cuts into your, your profit, right? Like. Well, what would be the impact of that? Yeah. Well, what's the sense of doing this? And, and you know, I know the government thinks this is going to help the supply of housing. No, it's not going to. It, it's going Why not? To, it's going to be real. 
Why not? Because people yeah. who have a short-term rentals, it's a very expensive, they have a very high mortgage they're paying, first of all, right? They're usually yeah. better than normal homes. You, I, the regular public can't even afford to pay the rent. They can't. So, so for you to say that, oh, we're going to stop everyone from running Airbnbs. Now the regular people can come in, you know? No, they can't because they can't even afford. They can't even afford for us to keep our homes going. And this is unfortunately mm. the problem that's happening now. And I really question who's making the decisions in the government that, that is going to affect the economy of the government themselves. Like mm. short-term rentals bring a lot of people into the area. They yeah. also, people come into the area, pay higher than average rents, right? To Airbnb or whatever else. That means more money is flowing into the municipalities or the province. Once you cut back on that, and, and they're, they're, they think that when they cut back, they're going to get, a, a, you know, more supply of housing. No, yeah. they're not. Right? The opposite. They're going to, you know, like, you know, but like they say, you shoot yourself in the foot. So they're going to be, the government's going to be shooting themselves in the foot. The government should be minding their business and get on with building affordable housing and not come after the small landlord. Okay, that, let's have a list. Let's have a listen to a little bit more of the federal housing minister here. speaking to Maria Recruit. Maria is the president, Canadian Short-Term Rental Association. Let's listen to the federal housing minister here again. This is Sean Fraser here talking about this looming crackdown on short-term rentals. Let's listen. There's tens of thousands uh, of units that we can uh, turn into uh, not uh, a competitor for a hotel or for a few nights, but a home for a family and a community. It's incumbent upon us to do everything we can uh, to use the properties that are available for homes. Okay, so he says it's incumbent on the government to do everything they can to free up these short-term rentals for people to actually live in long-term. And he talked about tens of thousands of potential Airbnb and other properties that could be turned into long-term rentals. Maria, so, Maria, you're not you're not buying that? Like the Brit yeah. British Columbia government is saying, well, it's already working here. They're seeing, they say they're seeing some evidence that some of these Airbnbs are being turned into long-term rentals here now. Well, I think what it might be is if this is true, I'd like to see see the statistics because according to Airbnb, Airbnb has stated that it's not the cause of Canada's housing crisis. I'm going to tell you, that is not the cause of Canada's housing crisis. The laws are the, the problem with the Canada housing crisis. And I find this because I'm from Ontario. The same thing is happening here. Like landlords don't even have the right to collect rent. Someone can live in their home for years without paying they have to they see the government's business should be changing the laws that no one can stay at anyone's house without paying. So what happens, Mike, is that yeah. people have had problems with tenants of this nature and they've gone through the, the legal process are not. Uh, it will take months and maybe a year to get a tenant out of the home. They will never rent to a regular tenant anymore. That's why that's what's causing the uptick with Airbnb people going to Airbnb. And I have yeah. spoken about this for the past 23 years about this. They have to change the laws that don't allow people to live in your home without paying rent. Okay. If you do that, then more people will go back to having regular homes for regular people. Let's okay. have a listen to let's have a listen to the prime minister here. I'm I'm curious for your thoughts on this, Maria, because some Airbnb operators I, I've talked to, I've heard from, have said, you know, we're being singled out here and punished yes. when none of this is our fault. Yeah. 
the federal yes. government here has dropped the ball on housing in this country. Listen to Trudeau here. So Tr- Justin Trudeau here is asked, look, could you have done more on housing here? And, and listen to his answer here. This is interesting. Sure. sure. If we hadn't got the federal government back into the business of housing, then everything would be much worse right now. Do you think you've moved too slow, though? Um, I always say we should have, could have moved faster. Absolutely. We should have and yeah. could have moved yeah. faster. Your thoughts? <laughs> eight years? What has he been doing in eight years? Yeah. People have been begging the government to do something about the housing. Like I can see so many people in my area that, you know, we have homeless people on the street putting up tents. Where's the government with all of this? We're getting all these new migrants coming in. There's no place to put them. So they put them in hotels. But yet our own people, Canadians, are on the streets. They have no place to go. Actually, I had somebody get in touch with me who's living in a woman's shelter. She can't find a place. Yeah. Like what? Like, I'm sorry, but I, you know, don't blame us, the small landlords. Blame yourselves, the government, that you have not made it your business to truly have affordable housing. And there's a lot of buildings that are not being used that the government owns. Why don't they turn mm. that into affordable housing? What okay. are they coming to the small landlord for, Mike? Maria, thank you for your thoughts and on this today. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Talk to you later, Mike. Okay. Take care okay. and keep fighting, okay? <laughs>Okay, let's talk about some of the Grinches that are out there. Can you believe we are getting closer and closer to December now? Just a little under one month to go until Christmas Day. Now, the shopping centers, I've noticed, are already getting busy here now. People are gearing up in the shopping season. So tis the season now, but it's also the season to watch out for scammers and fraudsters that are looking to swindle you. The Better Business Bureau of Mainland BC and Yukon does a great job on this every year, highlighting these Christmas scams. Let's check in with Simone Liss now, President and CEO of Better Business Bureau in, in Metro Vancouver. Hi, Simone. Hi, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for coming on again. So let's talk about some of these Christmas scams that are out there right now, Simone. Let's start with the uh, the Secret Santa. Now, a lot of people may be familiar with this. I worked once in a, in a place that had a Secret Santa tradition around the, the workplace. Now, that can be a lot of fun. But tell me about this online one, this online Secret Santa that's a, a scam. Well, also known as the secret sister or other types of secret Santa type scams, what makes this a scam is this isn't your um, office Christmas party where you know you each bring a gift and then you do an exchange. This is something yeah. where you may see some sort of advertisement or you get, might get a notification through your social media page, your Facebook, your Instagram, and you're basically being asked to participate in a gift exchange where all you have to do is send a, a gift to the top person on a list. It may not even be a big gift in value. It might be like between 10 to $15. It might be a book, a wine, gift card. Um, so you get this list. You need to remove the top person's name. This is where it gets a little complicated. You move that next person down, add yourself to that second spot, and then, of course, invite six other people to this gift exchange. And if everyone <laughs> does it, you're going to get maybe 36 gifts. Now, yeah. if you... Let's think about that. 
what you're really participating is a in a pyramid. Yeah, um, that's a pyramid. Illegal. That's a pyramid yeah. scheme you're describing there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's illegal, yeah. so you you don't really want to get involved in that. And not only do you not want to get involved with that, you also don't want to be um, recruiting six other people, potentially your friends, and providing your their and your personal information to people you don't know, um, potentially putting them at risk for scams as well. Right, and you mentioned that online, these these kind of scams have all sorts of different names that they use, but everyone's heard of the secret Santa. The secret, did you call it the secret sister? Yeah, an older version, and that one was, I think it was gifts around bottles of wine. I mean, who doesn't love wine, right? Sure. Especially during this season. Um, yeah. And it sounds so harmless because really you're expecting to get, you know, thir- potentially 36 bottles of wine that you maybe would never pick. So the investment isn't a lot. Um, but again, it's a scam. It's really looking to collect your information and, and unfortunately create a, a list of potential people that could also be scammed. Oh, okay. So this could also be an identity theft thing as well. I mean, if they're asking you to put gifts in the mail to send to someone, but they could also be stealing your ID? Well, they're asking you for personal information. So it, it yeah. could be you you could become a victim of identity theft. And because you're asking, uh, you're not only um, providing your information, your home address, your phone number, uh, your email, um, you're also inviting other people you're giving their contact information to other people um, with that kind of material. Again, you're, you're putting them at risk for that type of, of theft. Right. And where do these things proliferate? Yeah, I think you mentioned Facebook. Is it, does it pop up there a lot? Facebook, Instagram. I mean, really anywhere that we connect online, it makes it very yeah. popular. Yeah, for sure. Okay, the Secret Santa scam. Be aware of that one online. Speaking to Simone Liss from the Better Business Bureau of uh, Mainland BC and Yukon. All right, the must-have toys. So this is an interesting one, Simone. So every year there are hot toys, right? The most, the most popular toys. Everyone's looking for these. Some of these toys. I remember when my kids were little, trying to find some of these popular toys at Christmas time. You do not want to leave this late. People get desperate, right? Tell me about this scam. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, we do get desperate and especially when you go to your local store and they're not there or they seem to be really expensive and then you add in the the excitement that you're expecting from your child on, on that holiday day when they open this present, that's, it's all they want. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we start doing things like searching online, which is, you know, where we all go um, and often our history and our information is captured and so now you're perhaps on Instagram or Facebook, and again, there's a pop-up, and the advertisement is for that hot toy. And, and not only is it for the hot toy, but it's at a great rate. Um, so you click on the link, you find a website, and you're like, great, here I have it at a deal. Um, the catch is, is that you're not purchasing from potentially the legitimate organization. You're purchasing from a third party. Um, if you're lucky, you get a counterfeit version. If you're not lucky, um, nothing comes. You yeah. don't get your money back and, and you're out of pocket. And potentially you've given your information to someone who you don't know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, you can you can tell a desperate a desperate parent there trying to get this gift at last minute. You could be, fall for it pretty easily. And so I, I looked up some of the hot the hottest, most in-demand toys for this year, Simone, and, and I looked at it and it said number one, on one list I looked at was the Furby 
the interactive plush toy, and I thought, this can't be right. This must be a 25-year-old story I'm looking at. <laughs> you t- you, really? The Furby is back back again? It's funny. I mean, to your point, I mean, Barbie's on that list too, right? Yeah, Barbie, so it's, yeah. It's, it's really interesting to see that the toys that some of us loved when we were young are coming back, and they're coming back either digitized or just really exciting. Um, but they are. They're hard to find. And so, you know, what we really want to encourage people to do, especially during this time of the year, is to really take the time to research who you're buying from. Um, Look for the BBB accreditation field. uh, Check with the BBB to see what kind of history the business has. Understand um, the company's return policies, if it is posted, that they they take the time to provide you with that. I mean, honestly, the best way to protect yourself is to go into a local store and buy from someone you trust um, while understanding the return policy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Speaking to Simone Liss, President and CEO, Better Business Bureau, Mainland BC, talking about Christmas and holiday scams. How about the uh, the gift card scam, Simone? That always pops up at this time of year, right? Well, there's different types of gift card scams that we've heard. I mean, certainly we've heard of um, scams where, uh, you know, people are being... Uh, go into a store to buy a gift card, and that gift card has already been compromised um, and been mm-hmm. used. And so it's really important that when you go to a store that the you take a look at the gift card to make sure it hasn't been scratched or identify, um, or has been tampered with. Um, a lot of merchants now, because of that type of scam that we saw um, prevail, last, uh, I think it was last year, have taken some really good methods to protect gift cards by putting them in places that are high visibility so that they can keep an eye on it, even keeping them behind the counter. Um, So just taking the time to really make sure that uh, your gift card doesn't have a a sticker on top of it or has been scratched out already. Mm. Um, Another thing to do is if you are buying gift cards again, make sure you're dealing with the the reputable company. Um, Make sure that you understand any terms and conditions. Um, You know, not all gift cards are equal. Some do charge service fees. Um, and are allowed to do that. And, and so you, you do want to understand what you're buying and, and who the merchant is. Simone, some great tips as always. Thank you for coming on today. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.